Hello, and welcome to Localities Making Bank Podcast with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries take you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph as they share the very stories that have shaped them. So you've got a really interesting career, and I uh, want to start there with you're, you're doing directional drilling, which probably a lot of people don't know what that is. And, you know, how, how did you get your start in that business? So it was really just uh, the intro into directional drilling was more of a conversation about where the future of Internet is going and how people are going to connect in the future. That's really was the segue to the conversation of getting into directional drilling. I spent the majority of my career in the oil and gas business where we were basically doing uh, vertical drilling. Mm. Um, and a lot of vertical drilling, as it adapted over years, started to become directional drilling because they would drill at depth. They weren't able to find any reserves. So they would then use the drill head and change the direction of the drill to go horizontally at depth to see if they could find pockets of oil. So the technology has been out for quite some time. And over years, that technology started to become used in utility space because as we know today, there's a lot of utility underground. And if you wanted to put new infrastructure, it's how do you avoid the existing infrastructure without having to open cut? Because if you open cut a road, you basically have to close down the road and uh, people don't like that. So we started to hear about, you know, the utilities, 5G, what's going on with 5G? How everybody wants to go wireless. But the fact of the matter is, to go wireless, you need to have cell towers. You need to have a location where you're pulling the fiber to, to be able to transmit this. And the technology being used to do that fiber is directional drilling. Um, so my partner and I discussed, uh, you know, how we could be part of that. We started to do research. Um, we met with a couple of directional drill companies and found out, you know, what their thoughts were of the industry, where the industry is growing. And then to our amazement, as we started to investigate more, we've seen that there's a plethora of opportunity, not only in the 5G fiber space, but in all infrastructure. So everything that we use today, water, sewer, gas, power, is all being put underground. And more so here in South Florida, the fact that we have the hurricanes, all of the overhead utilities that are there today that we know every time there's a hurricane, we have issues with outages and whatnot. Um, so the, the utility companies now and our government-funded projects to push all of that underground so that when there is hurricanes, you don't have to replace that infrastructure. And to do that, the technology being used today is directional drilling. So we got very excited about it um, and then started to visit potential customers and hear from them what they thought of directional drilling. And most of those companies came to us and when we met them said, Directional drilling is great, it's good technology, it's fast, it's safe, but we're having a lot of issues with companies drilling because they're not safe. The, the industry is not standardized. There's no process and procedure. So we thought, great, you know, with our experience coming out of the oil and gas business and drilling with very tight procedures, specifications, safety, quality, we can use that experience, bring it into directional drilling, and offer our customers a USP that the others don't have. Now, when you started, were you, so you were in a 
large corporation. What was it you were working for? The company's called Horbiger. So Horbiger, a, which is a huge... It's a multinational. Um, company. Around $2 billion turnover annually, 7,000 employees. I worked for them for over 25 years. Um, I managed the Middle East and Africa for that business, for that company, for 20-plus years. Um, I set up the original company initially there in Dubai. And then from Dubai, we spread... Uh, by the time I left, we had over 15 locations in the Middle East and Africa. Wow. Where we had established satellite service centers, manufacturing centers, so on and so forth. Um, and in 2017, I, I came to the U.S. and took over as president of Orbiter Corporation of America, where we had a little over 1,100 employees, and we were doing around $250 million turnover annually. And did you get the idea while you were still working at Horbinger? While I was still working at Horbinger. Okay. Um, and again, you know, what kind of pushed me to make the decision to, to move out on my own was the fact that the oil and gas business today is very cyclic. Mm. So every three years you have, you know, highs and lows. So you're either hiring and trying to meet a, a growing demand or you're reducing people, you're tightening the belt because you basically have no business, mm -hmm. depending on the price of the oil. Um, so we thought, you know, infrastructure, infrastructure is never ending. You know, there's always going to be money for infrastructure because we need it to live. Um, and getting closer and closer to government funded projects where in good days and bad, that money is still going to continue. Um, and we've seen that, you know, doing directional drilling with all of the needs of an expanding nation, that's an evergreen opportunity for us that, we're not going to have to deal with the cyclic nature of the business. So providing we're able to offer a good quality product and be competitive, we know that there's going to be opportunity for us. And it's proven itself, uh, as we see now, you know, with, there's certain elements of the market that is showing concerns for, you know, recession and whatnot. Whereas on the other hand, we see our customers ramping up and, you know, asking us to do more and putting more projects on the cards. So you see moment. no slowdown in your, in your business. Whatsoever. No slowdown yeah. at all. Wow. In fact, it's accelerating. It's, you know, there's more and more opportunities. Uh, you know, Florida Power and Light today, they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars to expand their network of power to, you know, um, adapt old techno older uh, locations to new, new technology, putting a lot of product in the ground. They have what they call the Florida Power and Light Grid Modernization Plan, where they want to connect all of their substations um, in each county. And there's literally hundreds of miles of pipe that are going to go in the ground for those projects. And communities themselves, you know, they want to rebrand themselves. And you have some very luxurious communities here in South Florida that still have overhead cables. Yeah. And they still have poles that are, you know. Las Olas Isles. Las right? Olas Isles is a perfect example <laughs> of that. Which is a beautiful doing... you know, neighborhood with multi-million dollar mansions. And, exactly. And they've got power lines. they know, got power so. lines that are not even straight, you know. <laughs> people walking through that is, yeah. it's not good. So, no, there's a, there's a lot of investment and it's coming from all different elements. Obviously, with the infrastructure plan now and the money that's being allocated to that, everything that you think of that's being renewed today, there's an element of directional drilling, whether it's an intersection for traffic lights, they wanna drill and put pipe in the ground so they can feed the cable to run the lights. Street lighting, you know, they're putting street lights on uh, the turnpike. Downtown here in Fort Lauderdale, they're changing all of the street lighting to LED lighting, but they're not open cutting the road, they're doing directional drill to put power wow. for all of those new street lights. That's fascinating. Sewage. 
Yeah. Sewage is a big issue. You know, if you've taken a, an area where there used to be three or four homes and now you have a 10-story high-rise building, well, the volume of waste coming out of that building is much more than it was in the past. So you got to put in new infrastructure. you got to increase the, the volume of water going to the building. you got to increase the power going to the building. And you've got to increase the sewage coming out of the building. All right. Also something we've experienced here in Fort Lauderdale. Every day there's water <laughs> pipe bursting yes. because they just can't handle the, the volume exactly. of waste going out of the city. And it's, it's, you know, it's obvious with the population growth, more and more people wanting to move down here to South Florida, that it's, it's a necessary evil. Yeah. So, so you've got an interesting uh, career in that you spent a lot of time overseas, you, but you know, in, I forget, where are you from originally? I'm from Canada. Canada. And then, you, but you spent a lot of time in uh, overseas. In Dubai, in yeah. Dubai. So I moved, I moved to Dubai in 1991. Okay. Um, How'd you happen to go there? It's just, you know, I graduated from college and I had a family member that was living there. He was running a business uh, there. And he offered me, after graduation, he said, why don't you come, you know, spend a couple months, um, you know, figure out what you want to do with your life kind right. of thing. Um, so I did. I went over. I stayed with him for a few months. Fell in love with the place. Was it uh, just like a little desert at that time? Well, <laughs> compared the to what population it is today? back then was only four hundred thousand. So wow. it was very much uh, it was very much a small town, yeah. uh, underdeveloped, great place, you know. And I, I say I lived in Dubai for over twenty five years, and the journey has been fun going from being a small little fishing village, and I enjoyed that part of it, uh -huh. you know, having uh, access to, to the nationals of the country, um, doing, you know, simple things, fishing, a lot of spending time on the beach, and then to see the city grow to the metropolis that it is today, yeah. and to be part of that growth, you know, to see every day a new building, a new street, a, a new hotel, it was really fun. It, the dynamic of Dubai has changed dramatically over the years that I lived there, but there's never one point when I was living there that I felt, I don't like it here. I wow. want to go. That's interesting. It, it, it is interesting. And it's interesting living as an expatriate. And I must say one of the things that, you know, when you don't live in your own country, you never feel like it's permanent, right? So the first 10 years living there, I didn't get a dog. I didn't buy a car. You know, Because you always yeah. think here today, gone tomorrow. And then after 10 years, I said, you know what? You know, I'm 30 now and I'm going to live my life. And I started to, you know, do different things, got a dog, you know, ended up meeting my wife, getting married there and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So yeah. it was good. It's, and, and I still uh, really appreciate Dubai a lot. I, I love that. That's interesting. That's right on the same time I came to Fort Lauderdale. I, I got here about 1985. And, you know, to see what has happened here is not quite as dramatic as what happened in, yeah. in Dubai, but it's been similar, you know, mm. to look around here and just see the growth that we've had in Fort Lauderdale. Um, so you have, uh, it's, it, you know, so your career is a little bit different because you, you've come out of, and, and we were talking before about your career at, at Harbinger, where I, I would describe it as you were an entrepreneur. You were within a corporate environment starting businesses really for somebody else. Yeah. And so while you, you had a lot of infrastructure, it wasn't like you had to go out and find money or, you know, you had money, you had support. And then you went from that. So you had experience starting businesses, but then tell us what it's been like doing it for Danny. You know, and again, pluses and negatives. Mm -hmm. When I was starting businesses for Horbiger, I was 
living in the Middle East, the money was there, but there was huge challenges to set up a company in places like Egypt, Algeria, Libya, Nigeria, Kuwait, Kenya. You know, these were countries that are completely underdeveloped. Yeah. Um, a high level of bureaucracy in each country. You know, to have a foreign company come in and, you know, want a piece of the pie kind of thing is a lot of challenges. So having money was one thing, but setting up in those challenging environments, completely different than here. Okay. Here, when we, when we decided to set up uh, international directional drilling, we did it, obviously it was during the pandemic, and we did it virtually. We got the assistance from the SBA to help us form the company, but it was done in an hour. <laughs> Yeah. online you just filled out the sheets yeah. and there you go now we have a company and we're ready to rock and roll whereas over there it would take months sometimes even years before you could get government approvals and all this kind wow. of stuff to establish a business so the great thing here in the u.s establishing a company very easy getting funding for a company <laughs> very difficult hey, tell us about that so you know we when we started again we, we started with the sba and uh, the sba you know gave us their advice and they you know they gave us a, a list of lenders that could potentially look at us and and see for loaning us money we're fortunate that we had our own capital that we were willing to put in the business to get things going and we did that initially till we started to get revenue um but we basically got denied we I don't know how many, you know, video calls we were on explaining the business model and the plan and and then being told, no, we, we really need two years of your to be in operation. And when we started, when we wanted to start IDD, we wanted to start a company that was going to offer us salary replacement for our existing roles. And, right. you know, being the president of a company here in the U.S., I was on a certain level of salary. And of course... I want to maintain that somehow. Right. So, you know, having just one drill and, and, you know, doing it like that is just not going to cut it for us. So yeah. we wanted to get a certain size. And in this industry, you need to be of a certain size to have flexibility to take on which projects because the projects are very specific on what type of drill you can use. And the smaller drills, you can do smaller projects, but they don't pay the bill. The bigger drills, the more lucrative projects, they pay the bill. So... We needed cash. Well, even though we had our own money, we still needed to, to, to get capital into the business. And we, we reached out to many banks and they all declined. So we really, for the first seven, eight months, we did it on our own. We just you know, wow. ran the business with our own capital, um, started to generate revenue. But then, like we had anyways knew from the beginning, to match our business plan, we needed more. We needed more capital. So... Again, we've just stayed persistent and, and reaching out to whoever we could to borrow money and uh, hence locality. You know, we were yeah. introduced um, after about, yeah, we, I would say eight months in the business. Um, we reached back out to the SBA and said, look, guys, you know, we, we need this cash. And they uh, got us in touch with a few lenders. Um, locality was one of them. We had our initial discussions with, with Ed uh, from the bank and, and we really... We liked his optimism. You know, it was, we felt very comfortable with Ed um, and the way that he was approaching our business and really taking the time to understand exactly what our business is and not just saying, no, no, we need two years. No, he took the time to get as excited as we were. You know, when we were telling him, look, this is what we want to do and this is why we need the money to be able to get the equipment, to be able to take on contracts that by then we were already being awarded contracts and we did, literally didn't have the equipment to execute. Wow. And we told our customers, we said, look, 
were getting the equipment, but you know, and they were still willing to take us on board. They liked what we had to say that you know all about the safety and all that. So we were getting business, but we didn't have the equipment yet. Um, and then we got two offers. We got an offer from locality to loan us money. We got an offer from another um, larger bank uh, to, to loan money. And uh, so my partner and I were, you know, where do we go? And we both agreed from day one that locality bank, their, their approach, the way that we felt at home with the bank, you know, that they were actually interested in us and we weren't just a number. Um and we said, no, locality is the bank that we're going to deal with. And obviously having opportunity to meet you as well early on gave us the confidence that, yeah, this is going to work. You know, we knew that you being a new bank, there's probably going to be some hurdles along the way. Um, myself, knowing when I was setting up new companies as well, and us also in the same boat as you, new company, <laughs> there's issues, right? Yes. And we, we, we knew that we were going to experience them. Um, but we were we were felt comfortable and we, we thought that you know, locality was going to be the right choice for us now and also going forward. Um, and I must say the relationship that we've had with you so far, you know, obviously confirms that our decision was right. Um, but it also, it's, it's exciting for us because the way you're approaching us as a community company and you as a community bank, you know, you're connecting us as well. Right. So having dinner with you guys a couple of weeks ago and all that meeting other business owners and whatnot, that's, that's great. We, one of the gentlemen that was with you that evening uh, is in real estate. Yeah. Um, and we actually went and looked at a couple of properties that he was offering. Unfortunately, oh, awesome. we couldn't come yeah. to a deal with him because they weren't suitable for our needs. But, you know, that's that's the community style. That's what I like. Well, that's what we that's what we try to do. And I think that's a good point. Meeting uh, the right banker. And I'm not we don't have a monopoly on good bankers here at locality. We have we have good bankers. But meeting that right banker. Who, and I think you hit it on the head, took the time, understand your business and really uh, try to help mm -hmm. and, and put something together. So uh, that's a great story. What uh, would you say? And it's I think it's very interesting also that you became an entrepreneur later in life. And, and I did, too. I didn't start a bank until I was 50 years old also. So I I had worked. So I have a similar career path. I worked for larger banks and, you know, did business for somebody else for a mm -hmm, long time mm -hmm. until I went out on my own. Um, and I found it so rewarding. Lot, as you said, there's a lot of pluses and minuses, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest plus is that what you do is, is you know, the finger points back at you, right? You yeah. can't say, well, it was their fault because, you know, they didn't do this or that. It's, it's, it's all on you. And so you, you make or break your success. And what have been the defining moments for you going out on your own? Well, you know, and again, working with Horbiger for so many years, you know, I was, I was very well ingrained into the company, into the company culture. Um, and I had my privileges because of it, because I had been there so many years, a lot of things that, uh, you know, I know my colleagues struggled with was very easy for me because I had a you know, proven track record. The owners of the company knew me, knew me well, I had many years of success with them. Um, so I was able to find my way, but still at the end of the day, there was always decisions being made above my pay grade that affected me. And some were good, a lot were good, but some were bad decisions. Um, and I had to live with the consequences of them, even though I knew strategically or, you know, that there should be an investment being made in a certain direction because, you know, that's the, the 
pot of gold is over there, but they're spending money over here. Um, it, it's frustrating, you know, when you when you know that you can do more, you you know that you can do better things, but there's people above you that disagree with your ideas and your vision. So that was one of the, the you know one of the motivating factors to go out on my own and say, hey, you know, why apply all of my energy to things that sometimes is out of my control? Uh, why don't I try to you know use my energy and my own uh, you know vision for myself? So I thought, you know, and again, as I mentioned earlier on the cyclic nature of the business, so I think the timing was right. You know, the timing was right. We're, we're in the midst of the of the pandemic. So it was a little bit, you know, how are we going to be able to do this and do it successfully? Because our ability to interact with others is limited, you know, masking and people not wanting to visit, to meet you face to face. Um, but on the other hand, we've seen that as an opportunity, you know, that the market is going through a significant change. And uh, maybe now's the right time for us to do it. So we did it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still, you know, we've only been in business now for a little over a year. So we still have our daily challenges. Um, cash flow is always a major issue. Mm-hmm. The bigger the contracts, the more you have to put your effort before you get your reward. Um, and some of our customers, they have, you know, payment terms that we have to abide by. And we've got no t- control over that. So... Cash is always a major issue for us, you know, running one pay, pay cycle to the next. Right. And we positioned ourselves in the market as being, although we're young, we already have a very good, solid reputation in the market as being one of the premier drillers. And of course, to get that position, you need to pay your people well. You need to treat your people well. So my experience of working for a global multinational, I knew, you know, what we need to structure ourselves to retain our employees and have good people. Um, but it comes at a cost and, you know, the opportunity also by being your own boss, you can create your own vision. You can create your own culture. For me, culture is very important in a business. You know, you have to have one thing that I told myself when I was setting out to do the business is that I want to do something I enjoy and I want to do it with people that I enjoy to work with, you know, being working for a multinational, even though you're the president, you can still have coworkers and people under you that you can't get rid of. You know, you still have limitations. And even though they could be, you know, the master of disaster, you're still limited. Whereas working for yourself, you can mold a company, you can create a culture, and you can work with people that you enjoy working with. I like to go to the job sites and see my colleagues and see them smile and bring them lunch. And, you know, because I like to build that more of a family type of uh, business. And it wasn't easy in the beginning. You know, the drilling industry has its own mystique about it. And, you know, with the type of people that are in that industry, it's a hard job. It's a hard job to be out in the sun all day long drilling. So, of course, people's attitudes are driven by the environment they're in. But we said, no, 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 we're not going to have that. You know, we're not going to allow criticism. We're not going to allow, you know, the, the typical construction work talk on the job sites and all that. We wanted to clean all of that up. Um, and my experience working in the Middle East in a very multicultural environment, I wanted to bring that same vision into the company. So, you know, we don't, we're, we're a very, you know, flat company as far as the leadership structure is concerned. We welcome everybody from every walk of life uh, to work with us. Um, and it's, you know, it's slowly getting fun. You know, we have had to be brought in people. They didn't work out. Change, 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 which is typical in any new business. Right. Um, but now we're slowly starting to stabilize. We've got really good people now. 
Um, and it's fun. It's getting fun. That's great. It's getting fun to show up for work every day. Well, I agree. I, I think that's so important, at, especially at this stage of, of our careers, right, where you, you want to enjoy what you're doing. I mean, everybody should enjoy their, their work, obviously. But when, you get, when you've got this level of experience that you have, it's nice to, as you say, be able to do it and work with people you enjoy going to work with. I feel the same way. I, I mean, I love the people I work with. I mm. love what we do. Um, you know, and I'm older than you and I'm still working because I, I enjoy it, yeah. you know, and just really like the people that, that I work with. Um, anything else we should know about, about Danny? Well, yeah. Uh, How about a, any mentors that were really uh, stood out? So, you, uh, you know, and again, that's a good point because I must say over the years, I was very fortunate working for a multinational, um, that, you know, has a culture and has standards, I was given an opportunity to be trained by some of the best in the business. You know, scholars from, you know, Swiss universities and whatnot that I was able to go and workshop. One of the most significant um, workshops or training that I was ever on was, uh, it was, it's a school run by Lufthansa, the German airline. And the coaches there were coaching pilots on critical decision-making. Uh-huh. And our company being an Austrian company, a lot of uh, German heritage there, they were able to get us, a few of the managers of Horbiger seats in that training program. Wow. And you know, they're teaching the pilots how to make judgment calls while they're flying an aircraft. So if they're flying an aircraft and they have issues and, you know, go to grab the manual or make decisions on the fly. And one of the most significant things that came out of the whole discussion it was a two-day training program, and they were, you know, giving us all these problems and seeing how you'd resolve them and make decisions. And, you know, everybody's thinking and doing math calculations and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the program, the outcome was decisions you have to trust in yourself. You have to make decisions from the heart. If your gut feels that it's the right decision, 99% of the time it is going to be the right decision. Wow. You can go to the manuals. You can do the science behind it. But if you take if you need to make critical decisions, think with your head and listen to your gut. And if that's aligned, that's the way to go. Wow. Two days it took them <laughs> to prove to us that that's the way to do it. All the science, all the math, forget it. Think with your heart. Think with your, you know, and that was uh, one of the things that I take with me now ever since I had that program. It's a great, great piece of advice. Yeah. No, thank yeah. you. And it's been, it's been working so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I know leadership is one of your core values at IDD. What do you think of the top qualities of a good leader? So one thing that we, we always use is we use this term, you know, talk to people at eye level. So I believe in having, for a person to lead other people well, you have to have empathy. You have to think from the other person's perspective. A lot of leaders today, they believe that their vision is the right vision. They believe that their words are the right words. But when you're receiving information, everybody receives it in a different way. So although you can be passionate about something, if you're explaining it to somebody else, you need to have empathy for them and the way that they're receiving that information so they understand from you what it means. So we always say we speak at eye level. We never, you know, and again, what I mentioned about in IDD, we're a very flat organization. You know, we treat all of our employees as though they're the CEO of the company. We, everybody is, has the same level of respect. Everybody gets spoken to at eye level. We never, you know, challenge them. We challenge them every day, 
to be productive, but we never challenge them. Um, we never give them disciplinary actions in front of their colleagues and coworkers. You know, we, you have to have respect. You have to have empathy. You always have to think about what is that person? Maybe he's having a bad day and that's why his actions are in the way they are. Think about what's going on with them and have empathy to show them how to do it right. I think for me, that's very, very important. Great. Thank you. So now we're going to go to the lightning round where we're going to just ask you some quick and just come back with whatever comes to mind. Do you have a favorite quote? A favorite quote? Well, and this is uh, something that uh, I use a lot when I'm talking about leadership is be the leader that you would follow. I, I tell my employees that all the time. Yeah, If you're going to lead somebody, think about what makes you want to follow somebody. And is and that your own person. quote? Is that from Danny Flynn? Uh, I don't know if it's probably written <laughs> somewhere, but it's in my head and all I right. use it a lot. Well, we'll so. credit it to you. That's an original quote. So happiest moment and lowest moment. Happiest moment? Um, well, I, I've had a lot. Uh, I've got two wonderful kids and uh, they great. make me happy every single day. They're, they're very, very good kids. Um, Lowest moment, I would say, I like to think of is, you know, I had a great Dane. I was with, he was with us for 11 and a half years, which they normally don't live that long. And the day that he uh, passed was a, was a heavy day. Uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. How about a top book that you would recommend? Oh, I don't even know the name of it, to be honest <laughs> with you, but it's a book written by a Navy SEAL and it's a book on leadership. Okay. Um, I'll definitely get you the name of the book. Okay. But it's a very inspirational book. It's about, you know, living the life in the most difficult conditions and how you have to inspire and still continue to lead. So that's not Jocko? Yeah, Jocko. Oh, yes. Jocko. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know the name of that book either, but it's, uh, but yeah, I yeah. know it's on like the Wall Street Journal top exactly. 10 every, no, it's every a very, week. It's a very, very good book. Excellent. Uh, how about favorite restaurant in South Florida? Not, favorite, not in uh, Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite restaurant, my wife is uh, born and raised in Hong Kong. Okay. And uh, so I've had the opportunity to travel to Hong Kong quite often over the years, and I got a real passion for Chinese food. So there's one Chinese restaurant that we like to go. It's in uh, Coral Springs. It's called Mainland. Okay. It's on University, and uh, that's probably... If there's a special occasion or I want to treat my wife to a good meal, that's where. Mainland. Okay. I'll have to check that out. How about what do you do for hobbies or to relax? So you'd never know it, but uh, I, I was uh, in my younger years, I was very avid uh, into kickboxing. Oh, wow. So I used to train uh, kickboxing and uh, more MMA style with doing jujitsu and whatnot. So both my kids are, are active in, into doing that. Awesome. As well. That's great. So I like to do that. Um, I like old cars. So uh, I like tinkering around with that old American muscle cars. Um, I have a Harley, so I ride. You have a Harley. Do you have some old cars as well? I have. Uh, I have one car. I think I was telling you the other night at dinner. Uh, my favorite is a 1974 Chevy Nova. It's uh, the first car I ever owned. Yeah. I got it for my 16th birthday from my father, and I still have it today. Wow! It's parked in my garage. <laughs> so that's. Uh, yeah, I love that car. All right. Great. Well. Thanks, Danny Fornell from IDD uh, for being our guest today. And uh, that's all from Making Bank. So great conversation with Danny Fornell. Interesting background, had a corporate background, lived in Dubai, and left that big corporate job to 
go out on his own. It's kind of a scary thing to do after you've been working in a big corporation your whole career. So what lessons did we learn from, from Danny? So first was he decided that he wanted to be the master of his own fate, go out, do it on his own, make his decisions, and be responsible for the outcomes, the success, the rewards. He also had some very good mentors because he had worked in a large corporate environment. So he had corporate training and had picked up a lot of skills because of his corporate background, and that's invaluable. He has built a culture of fun, but he's also built a culture of high standards, which I think was really well represented by his comments about how they don't allow certain things that you know a lot of construction companies might get away with, but they've raised that, that standard, which was very interesting. And I think also from his struggle to get financing as a, basically a startup, even though he had the corporate background, Went, got a lot of no's from going through the SBA and one bank after another doing Zoom calls, trying to get money and being turned down again and again. Eventually got funding from a community bank through the SBA. So perseverance breeds success. But his final piece of advice, which I thought was great, is go with your gut. When you have to make a decision, it's your gut, that's your instincts that are going to really drive the, the right outcome. So trust your gut. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us at localitybank.com, open an account in three or five minutes, and you can also find us on the app. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for Locality's Making Bank podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes and visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.